This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Hello and welcome to a new Media Week podcast. I'm Crudy Joshi, the Deputy Editor of Media Week, and we are at the News Corp office again, uh, talking about a few things and today, but first, before we go ahead, let me introduce you to James, who's our editor. Hi, James. Hi, Crudy. And also our special guest this week, um, week, week, <laughs> Vogue Australia Editor-in-Chief, Edwina McCann. Hi, Hi Edwina. Hi, Crudy. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm a bit thrown off by the look of the new Vogue Australia and also the size of it, it's got to be one of your biggest ever. It is indeed, and um, one of our most financially successful. Um, in fact, we cracked a million dollars, which we haven't done since our 50th um, anniversary, so Gee. it's a very successful issue. Jesus Christ, and you have a few, um, we'll talk about the redesign as well, but you have the Fashions Night Out coming up, recently had Vogue codes as well, so it's been quite hectic for you on the events front as well, isn't it? It has. Um, it's really interesting. Vogue codes for us really showed that we can drive consumer revenue as well in ticketed events, so that was very exciting. And then Vogue American Express Fashions Night Out is obviously a free event for consumers, but that's really about sponsorship for us and how we interact or how we link um, certain brands with our Vogue fans and consumers. Mm. And in terms of you have something up coming up tomorrow as well, you mentioned? We do. <laughs> We're also in a fabulous partnership with the National Gallery of Victoria and they are launching a huge Dior exhibit. It's without doubt the most significant fashion exhibition ever staged in Australia um, and we're very proudly the, um, the, the partners. So I'm co-hosting a gala on Saturday night um, with Tony Elwood, the director of the NGV, um, and we have um, half of Dior's Paris office in town tomorrow for yeah. lunch and a media, off- a media um, launch. So it's very exciting. Jesus Christ, and then you're coming... You've given us a bit of your time too. I'm very impressed with all this going on. I can always do that, James. <laughs> you have so much coming. Um, and you also mentioned, so you're going to Melbourne tomorrow, coming back tomorrow night, and then again going on Saturday. And I mentioned you might as well would have stayed over the, you know, just one night, but you're also a mum. How do you do it? You sound like one of the most um, overscheduled people. <laughs> a very supportive partner, a very supportive um, mother. And um, I don't know any other way of living anymore. So you just do it, don't you? (laughs) I will get the children to hockey about an hour away early on Saturday morning and then I will go back to Melbourne to host the very glamorous event from not so glamorous to glamorous in one day. (laughs) And then do you get to stay there and have a me time on Saturday night or are you again flying back? Fortunately, there is a curfew so I couldn't get back to Sydney on Saturday (laughs) night. But otherwise... (laughs) I probably would fly back as I, you know, we do on many occasions. Oh, Jesus Christ. Now, tell us through, um, run us through your redesign. What, tem- uh, what you know, set this whole thing off? It was actually a conversation I had with Katie Page originally, who um, is has been an incredible um you know, mentor, I would say to me, but also a really great supporter of print publications and a fan of magazines. And we were discussing, um, how the magazines were evolving globally. Um, interestingly, I was looking at a UK publication that I thought was, had pulled back their design to be much quieter um, and had a lot more sort of long form journalism. And we were discussing how the print experience had evolved and changed. And as we'd all become more confident in digital and social, we finally were confident enough to understand that print needed to be printier. So by that, I mean, you know, we have a very successful digital business. We have a very big social media offering. We have a wonderful eventing business and all those businesses we value and they're all, they all interact and they all drive one another. And what we hadn't done is address what 
print is and what it means to our brand. And when I sat down and did that, I realised that I've, I've been an editor at Vogue almost six years or over five years now and I was an editor of an, another magazine prior to that. So I've been an editor for over eight years. So I've really seen the arrival and the rise of digital. And the original feeling amongst editors, and this was a, a global phenomenon, was once um, digital arrived, everybody felt, well, we have to be more like digital. More things on the page. Nobody wants to read more than 500 words. Everything's got to be snippety and in and out. And, um, you know, it, it became quite frenetic in the book, I would say. Mm. And I actually think we made a mistake. What we, what we didn't realise, and admittedly this is in the age before, that, before we were all on our t- um, telephone devices, we didn't understand that when people were consuming um, news or imagery in a digital format on their telephone, they were also being constantly interrupted by you know, their Instagram telling them that they're not in Europe, they're just sitting under, you know, a, a blanket in their, in their, on their couch <laughs> while all their friends are frolicking in Mykonos or something. You make it sound like but, a very sad life. But also, yeah. But also, you know, you get Facebook alerts and everything and everybody knows you're kind of on Facebook while you're also watching the TV at the same time and, and also that our work was going to be done more and more on these same devices. So the devices became, have become, in my opinion, sort of, I guess, a a portal to a lot of things that stresses out. Mm. And what print has become, especially in the case of Vogue for me, and it is when I enjoy other magazines, it's it's me time. It is truly time where I put down the devices. I don't put the television on. I do still read it on the beach because you can. You can't take, you know, you don't really like taking a, especially a big device to the to the beach. You know, you, you can read it in the bath because you're not terrified of dropping it in it. So it's, it is a, it, it's a unique time when it's actually put aside for her to enjoy that in a private, uninterrupted way. And so it's really become about relaxation. And that's something we don't have a lot in the modern world. So we were like, well, are we catering for her if that is how she wants to enjoy us? And I had to look at it and say, no, we're not. Not as well as we could be. So our, our feeling about that was, well, we need um, longer form journalism. We need to be photographing every image in that magazine, we need to be curating the experience for the reader. So if people are going to go to wonderful exhibits like the Dior one, which I just mentioned, which they are in greater and greater numbers in Australia, then it stands to reason for me that they would also want a curated fashion experience, which is a keepsake. So yes, you might be able to see these images online when they're scanned in, but you'll never see them all together like that, like you would enjoy a fashion exhibition curated especially for you. Tell us about when you redesign something with um, Vogue on the front of it. Is this is this the movement you've talked about that you've you've undertaken here? Is that happening elsewhere in the brand? And do you need does this need to get signed off too by by uh, the sort of people who look after the international editions? Definitely. So um, American Vogue actually went to a square format for their book, which we've done as well, which does give you more of a coffee table like experience for their September issue. Um, and we decided, okay, that square format we thought was really attractive and allowed more imagery to breathe and gave us more white space to deal with around um, to play with around um, imagery and also um, copy so yes absolutely there's a movement towards this um, in general um, in terms of signing off we 
we are, um, you know, constantly, I guess, audited, if you like, by, you know, Condé Nast in the UK. They have a very respectful relationship. And I think one of the unique things about the Vogue brand and, and the way Condé Nast treat their international stables is they want you to have a local flavour. They encourage you to have a local flavour. They don't ask you to have your covers signed off. And I've worked for other brands where... It's a much more syndicated rollout model. Everything that you have to have brand pillars, you have to call sections, you know, certain by certain names. We don't have any of that. It is left to the local editor to determine what is best for his or her market. So we are very fortunate in that extent. Um, to that extent, however, if Condonest weren't happy with something, clearly we would know about it. Um, we have a very good and trusted relationship with Condonest, and you know, I, I I hope and trust that they will enjoy what we've done. Yeah. So that square format's here to stay? Definitely. Yeah. Not only is it here to stay, we've actually <laughs> changed Vogue Living to the square format oh, really? as well okay. um, with the same view that it really is about creating a coffee table-like experience. Um, I think long-term we'd probably look to GQ being a square format, although it already is um, a bit squarer than, than Vogue was. So, yes, it's absolutely here to stay. Um, and it's one of the things that people, as um, some subscribers and also industry, um, you know, industry clients have um, received their early copies, it's been one of the things that they've immediately commented on, that it does look and feel quite different. I'm also very proud to say that, you know, our luxury clients who are so grateful for their continued investment in Vogue and their faith in what we do. And so many of them, if you can see that we've got three um, what you would call gatefolds, so inserted cover stock inserts at the beginning of the book, mm. which add to the sense and a, and a quadruple gatefold, if you like, from Tiffany and Co., which is incredible, but it actually really adds to the sense of it being a coffee table book. And we're so lucky to have ads as beautiful as our editorial, but we're also lucky that they really come on board and support us when we reinvest in the print product. What do you think it is about, you know, that premium market that the advertisers keep on investing into print, especially when people are talking about, you know, ads moving away from print to digital? I think it's still about brand positioning. So different platforms do different things for your brand. Um, obviously, um, a, a digital buy can be very much about a call to action, especially a targeted social media buy, for example. Um, and that, that is wonderful. But the path to purchase for a woman in particular is often not a direct one. You know, it's often about I, – I, and even if you talk about Google search, and I was talking to the CEO of one of the luxury companies here about this, I have to know what I'm looking for. So I have to have seen in the pages of Vogue that there is a new fragrance available or there is something called a speedy bag or whatever it is for me to be actually Googling what it is that I want. And by positioning it and representing it in Vogue, it's endorsing a product and launching it in a way and positioning that brand and the value of that beautiful brand and the product they're producing in a way that you can't necessarily achieve online, you know, in a, in a second, in, in a, a quick sort of media buy or on social media. What is a speedy bag, by the way? <laughs> that's that, that that's a beautiful luxury bag. <laughs> okay. Um, and just quickly on this, so there's... It's about 320 pages this um, September, right, so which is always your biggie of the year? Yes, it yep. is, yeah. I mean, it weighs, weighs a tonne. I mean, it's great value. I mean, this is – you get changed – well, you don't get changed from $9, do you? But it's under $9, we can say, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, it's just fantastic. It is. When value, you consider right? a coffee in some parts of Australia now costs – Close to five. Exactly. It's extraordinary. I mean, and, and you know it's a good issue when you get to the editor's letter, you've got to get to page 52. 
yes. before you get it. Like the tunnel, as we call it. Yes. Call it yeah, that? that's called the tunnel. Okay. Yes. So all the the beautiful ads that that sit before um, the first pages of editorial. Um, yeah, it's it's incredible. We've also been very lucky. We've had a lot of luxury brands um, enter the Australian market, and that's you know a testament to the the evolving Australian market, the health of generally of our economy. I think also the continued influx of expat Chinese money that we've seen over a long period of time. Um, but yeah, it's it's we're very lucky that probably the ads look more beautiful than they ever have in the history of Vogue in Australia. It's a little bit easier for us planning our weekly issue. We've got 20, maybe 28 <laughs> sometimes if we're lucky, pages. 320, gee whiz, I'd hate to be... Uh, must need a full-time planner almost to do that. But do you, you talked about the million dollars in revenue you've written. Do they pay a premium to get into the tunnel? Uh, yes, yep. advertisers pay a premium and we have year-on-year anniversarised positions. Um, so there are certain rules around who can appear where um, and their positioning is, is guaranteed every year um, except for certain circumstances. Because some, peop- some people probably aren't too fussy but I guess others are very you know, competitive aware and they don't want to be maybe near a competitor yeah. and stuff. There's lots of things to consider. Definitely. And I guess that's one of the things that, you know, Vogue has had a very long-standing relationship with wonderful brands like Chanel, for example. And and I, I guess that mutual respect and understanding of what one another do and the fact that, you know, my editorial staff are very well versed in all things Chanel because they've been, I guess, you know, given these wonderful experiences over many, many years. So we're kind of in this symbiotic relationship and we understand how to protect and look after their brands and the other brands that they're happy being around and the environment that they're happy being within. Mm, and so when you're planning a an issue how does it work take me back do you have a flat plan that you print out and then which has 320 pages represented on it we do so there's obviously a, a, um, a budgeted target and then a grid is done accordingly um, based on the yield that we're hoping to achieve obviously things such as inserts complicate the way books are put together and one of the most fascinating things is um, as caretaker editor of Vogue Living I have Colette Dinigan doing a special guest issue in November December and one of the most fascinating things about that has been watching her deal with the grid and yeah. I guess how to me it's just sort of second nature that you move things around and you understand how so it's going to work. So she's really guest editing. Oh, she is seriously guest editing. She is a regular guest in the News Corp <laughs> offices, let me tell you. Well, that's going to be a good issue. <laughs> that will be a fantastic issue. It's all based on Italy. She was living in Rome for a year and she's she's accessed some incredible properties like the Brandolini family who are like Italian royalty, the CEO of um, Fendi. So we're in beautiful homes um, and on top of that you get her sort of Italian travel guide. But she's done everything. She's styling you know, all the upfront pages and, you know, she's she's out shooting actually today in stores, in barrel and everything, but bringing in entire floors and, and upholstering um, seats and, and she's across every page. She's got... You know, Tim Olsen writing pieces, you know, he's a dear friend about art and it's it's amazing to see how um, passionate she's been. It's like, oh, this advertises, yep, great, drop this. And she's like, no, what's no, happened? Exactly. I think when it comes to actually putting the book together and doing the flip book, it's, it's going to be quite a challenge. I think she'll be very opinionated. <laughs> In the um, redesign, is there any 
sort of uh, change in editorial emphasis in any way? Yeah, so one of the interesting things, obviously, when you decide to do a redesign, you first of all need to make sure that you can do achieve what you want to achieve within the budget that you have. Um, so we moved a little bit towards it with the August issue. We introduced more photo shoots, which traditionally are much more um, expensive to do. But I guess we're working now, we do a lot of digital-only shoots as well. So we have more volume of work to offer our photographer stable um, and therefore we're able to achieve probably more affordable prices perhaps than we were in the past with um, some of the shoots. We were also quite lucky that a lot of creatives really came to the party and were willing to kind of work with us to achieve what we needed to achieve within the budget, appreciating the fact that we were reinvesting in content in this country in a time where so many, um, I guess, uh, competitive brands were unable to. So, um, yes, it, it requires a lot of rethought with the way you use your budget. And then on top of that, you've really got to consider, well, you know, I, I want some big name writers, for example, because there's inherent value in that. And so, you know, how many of them can I fit into one issue if you um, are repaginating and changing the pace of the book? So more white, more white um, space, more room to breathe. What does that actually mean to ensure that the reader doesn't get bored? Like how are you going to – and how are you going to do things such as trends, which for us became about using our art department's talent to allow them to create singular artworks that illustrated a, fr- a trend. So it was about illustrating their talent, not just the trend of the season. Um, and I guess in that respect, we were trying to make every page like a work of art. Have you maybe taken anything out and say, okay, this we could maybe put this on a digital platform? That things All, that maybe you used to do in the magazine always. So certainly, um, in more of a shopping context, we decided that the the print magazine was very much about aspiration and inspiration. It was something to be enjoyed and inspired by and our digital platform does a very good job at driving um at driving online shopping and probably the best example of that is our online shopping night um we we do drive actual sales of product directly from our editorial but it doesn't necessarily have to be on the pages of the magazine um if you look at the way our advertisers use us it is about this brand positioning as i said and then the journey to buying that bag might not be direct, but it might be the you know the consumer thinking, oh, I saw that amazing. What was that Fuiton bag or that Gucci bag that I saw that I loved, and thereby going to their website and looking for the product, but they saw it in Vogue to begin with. So where, you know, we needed to sort of say, well, that's that's really our role for them when they advertise with us. So why shouldn't it be our role for our reader as well? And in terms of your cover, how do you um, decide on, you know, which stars do you want? For example, you've got Bella Hadid, but she's obviously got a very famous sister as well. Yes. So when you're tossing up between the two, how do you decide on which one you want to confirm? Um, it really depends, I guess, who is of the moment. Um, Bella really had a huge season in Milan and Paris. Mm. And everything we do is informed by what we see at the Ready to Wear shows. That is very much still what Vogue is about. We go, we're inspired by the designers and, you know, appreciate their work and we re, I guess, um, I guess we translate it or we reinterpret it through the pages of Vogue for the consumers through our eye. So Bella was chosen very much for that reason. I've also met her on several occasions and I think she's a really um, charming young girl. Um, Jordan, who we chose to, to photograph with her, we just decided, well, if you had to shoot the two 
hottest models on the planet, who would they be right now? And it was definitely the two of them. And when we came up with the idea with IMG, they were supportive because they're actually great friends as well. So as it turned out, our photo shoot um, was done upstate New York with our fashion director who is now um, based in New York, comes between New York and Sydney. And she, and then afterwards they did an interview um, in Bella's apartment, but there were paparazzi outside. So they were actually doing the interview um, with Derek Blasberg, who writes for Vanity Fair and is a celebrity himself. And they were photographed by the paparazzi, which ended up splashed all over the Daily Mail, saying that they were actually having an affair. And that here they had proof of this affair because Bella and Jordan were in the same apartment and <laughs> Bella only had underwear on. And little did they realise they were actually just doing the Vogue interview about the shoot and they're really good buddies and... and and we've got hysterical videos of Derek actually videoing his FaceTiming them and also the two of them um, d- doing really hysterical things, being asked questions about whether they're, you know, whether they prefer things hot or cold, for example, or whether they're winter or summer people. Um, so, and it's, and they're, they're really funny together. They get along really well. It's nice when you can get those sort of things. For example, when Daily Mail ran that photo, you could be like, well, can you, can you cash off for the, um, off that? Like it, basically like gain publicity yeah. because I mean, it would be good before the Vogue comes out and just go, yo, this De- is what we did. <laughs> definitely. And I think having the real story and people who are interested in the two of them, and clearly a lot of people are, if they're rating, in terms of digital news and are covered by, you know, and followed by the paparazzi in that way. They're able, I guess what it shows is that Vogue has that, you know, that connection with them. You, in, in Vogue, you're going to read really what their relationship is about and Vogue can actually bring them together and orchestrate the whole, the whole thing. So that's really being an insider. And I think that's what Vogue's always been about. It's been about discovery. It's been about feeling like an insider when you read it, being an insider. So, yeah. Mm. I realise I'm a little bit out of my depth with some of these questions about Vogue, but I'll, I'll do my best. Now, <laughs> Bella Heathcote yes. in August. Yes. Bella Hadid in <laughs> September. Have we got a Bella that could possibly go on the October cover? No, there's not a Bella on the October. You've, exha- you've exhausted me. <laughs> I've shot all the Bellas. That's <laughs> done. We're out of Bellas. I wanted to ask you about no, – again, I, I love that you started off with a million dollars. It's great because it gives a real insight into you – know, it reminds people, hey, this is a business, you know, and, and that's why this – your story is so wonderful that, that you, you're making a great business out of, you know, what is very traditional format uh, as well as juggling all the other platforms you're on. But print – print's very easy to judge the, the success, isn't it, as the revenue – there's the, and it all goes back to that. I mean, you can do great creative things, but if nobody's buying it, absolutely, it's a bit of an indulgence, right? Yeah. But judging your your digital success is a bit harder, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's part of it is revenue, part of it Traffic is supporting the brand. Yep. You know, um, supporting maybe some advertisers who are in the print property. So just talk to us a little bit about how you judge what the success of what you're doing digitally? Well, digital has, especially with Vogue, has a significant budget. So we are budgeted every month just as we are um, with print to achieve those budgets. We also have traffic targets, which we're judged on daily. So obviously we have daily ratings now. Those ratings are a little more difficult when you're in uh, more of what we would call a niche. We're number one in our category, but it's still niche when you compare us to, you know, 
Because that's just sites. new, like right? Those, those daily that's things. That's correct, yeah. yes. How is the, has it taken a little while to get your head around that? It does, does take say, a little while. What do they while. mean, these daily figures? Absolutely. So, but what it's done, which is fascinating, is it's made us, um, I guess, trade more, but also focus more on tentpole days, as we're calling them. So it's kind of in the tradition, I guess, of television ratings. Like, you know when you're going to have your big ratings time because you've got the NRL final. Well, for us, we have the Met Gala, for example, where – Due to the very fortunate timing of the New York event and the red carpet and us being, having a full office in here ready to cover it, we tend to do incredible traffic around that event that just continues throughout the day, a lot of it driven by the strength of our own social media. So we can deliver unbelievable numbers. I mean, we can deliver as much traffic as we might get you know, in a number of weeks okay. otherwise. So what we've learned is that we need to be upselling that to clients so that they're buying – it's not just a programmatic buy so that they're actually booking those events in advance, knowing that they want association with that type of content, knowing that we can deliver an enormous amount of traffic, knowing that we might have sporadic viewers who definitely will come to us for that event and we're trusted on it. So in that respect, digital has evolved because of the daily ratings for us at Vogue, but it, it, it kind of operates, I guess, it, it, we used to have, you know, well, in print we still do, we have circulation revenue and we have um, advertising revenue. And in digital we have traffic KPIs and we have revenue KPIs. And the editorials team are still involved with delivering on the traffic, on the revenue KPI. So clearly a certain amount of um, traffic is committed to in terms of delivery for a client. And so you're using content to deliver that traffic. I mean, unless you're doing it as a lot of our competitors do, unless you're just boosting and buying it somewhere else, um, which we feel is less engaged traffic, you are using your editorial, you know, to do so. So oddly digital is a more commercial has always been a more commercial, I think, focused um, editorial strategy. And in fact, um, all of our girls now start in digital um, and become, I think, um, very well prepared for the future media market, at least at Vogue, by having had that experience, by really understanding the connection between, you know, revenue and and the content. Is it a bit of a long-term play, digital as well, that think, okay, look, it, it mightn't really pay for itself as much as we'd like, but we've got to be there. It's probably going to be the future. I mean, we spoke to nine, reported their results, so they've got 4 million people registered for nine now, but the revenues are really pretty small. But they see they've got to be there. Long-term, it'll be a, they'll get a payback. Yeah, I mean, we – so – our, I mean, our revenues relative to investment, if you just looked at what we have to invest editorially, are very significant. I mean, the return or the yield okay. um, is, is, so better, it plays its way. is better than print. Oh, very much so. Right. Digital for and us. You invest pays. editorially in digital yes, is distinct yeah. from – you're not just repurposing no, content. No, no. All of our um, digital content is original. No, <laughs> all, of, all of it is original. So okay. we run a, a digital newsroom. We chase the stories of the day. We do – I mean, obviously always through a, a Vogue prism, but we do – you know, if Prince Harry did something today, we'd probably be all over that. We do The Bachelor. You might be surprised. That does very, yeah. very well for us. In fact, I threatened that one of my girls were going to go on The Bachelor <laughs> next time because <laughs> it does so well for us. So, yes, we're very much a news – that is a newsroom for us and it operates just like news.com.au does or, or any of other uh, news properties. That's probably – in contrast to some of our competitors, it's not a magazine website and we've never treated it that way. We do drive a lot of our own traffic out of our social media um, and we, we've been very lucky in that respect. Um, but 
I guess the other thing that we've realised that digital can do is it can drive people to, you know, Vogue American Express Fashions Night Out, for example. And we also have the advantage, obviously, of News Corp are very supportive in supporting that event in, in print as well. They give us wonderful support in terms of marketing and driving people to that event. But then when we tra- when we launch Vogue Codes and we launched ticketed events, one ticket at a $450 price tag, so these are you know significant investments for people, we were able to sell our own tickets off our own platform. So again, we've realised that digital is driving you know, a secondary income stream in consumer um, in consumer does revenue. That, does it bring people into the Vogue world to digital? That, Without that a might, doubt. A lot of kids aren't going to well, not kids, but younger people. Without a doubt. browsing magazine racks. Yep, so. with, without a doubt. It, it has exposed us and continues to expose us to a broad audience, a much broader audience than we ever reached when we were only a print product. Um, and it allows us to do things like... I mean, I've said before, in, you know, in the old days, you just had to put out the poster or hope that the news agent put out the poster to tell people you were on sale. Now you can tell them yourselves. So, you know, and you're telling 1.6 million people on Facebook. So it, it's been, um, it's been a, an absolute gift, I would say, digital. But the, the biggest gift to me at the moment is that it's actually allowed print for me to become the magazine I've always wanted to publish. And, I don't know. You know, it's odd that digital's done that for you or maybe given you the confidence to do it because you've got other ways of being other things to people. Yeah, and in terms of, sorry, just moving away from all the money talk, um, being the editor-in-chief of Vogue, I guess, would come with its own pressures? Not really pressure, but expectations, I guess. I guess when uh, when people don't know you outside of the job and someone goes, oh, what do you do for a living? And then you go, oh, I'm the editor, uh, editor-in-chief of Vogue. Do you almost feel like you have to dress the part 24-7? I'm always really embarrassed when I'm like walking the dog or doing something where I don't look like the editor of Vogue, where I'm always apologetic saying, look, I, d- I don't look like it right now, but this is what I do. <laughs> so sometimes I just say, oh, I'm in, I'm in media. <laughs> And so you don't have to be pressured. Like, oh, when you just um, step out of your, you know, mother mother house, I mean, sorry, not mother, out of that mother role or whatever and, you know, coming into a professional, can you ever just walk in with um, jeans on, for example? No, very rarely. I have a hairdresser who comes three times a week and, <laughs> oh, no, that, you don't really get away with that. But um, And I do find I'm, more, I'm probably more conscious on the weekends than I would be otherwise, even kind of on the sidelines. But I don't. I, I don't think you can afford to worry too much. You can only be what I guess what you can be, can't you? You can't you can't worry too much. We were talking to the editor of Stella um, before uh, Sarah Lamarquand, and she was talking how um, like her dressing habits. She's usually overdressed, as she said. What's your comfort clothing? Well, I think it's different with work. I've I've kind of developed. I mean, look, I would be very much a Claire Underwood if I could, if every day I could look like that. So I think I think well tailored clothes. Are, you know, there's a lot to be said for them. But obviously, you know, at Vogue, we still, you know, we're we're also here engaging with the latest fashion. So you don't want to be too <laughs> just too streamlined or, or um, conservative. So I would say. Um, I don't know. I just like well-tailored pieces. I really appreciate quality. I found over time I spend probably way too much on clothes and that's something that I think people assume you don't. But you buy – ultimately, yes, absolutely, in your career you've been gifted things. But, you know, when you you really want something or you know how you want to dress, it's not necessarily going to be the way other people 
perceive you or think what you know that's what yeah. you want or something. So absolutely, you, I'm a terrible <laughs> shopper. Still, <laughs> my partner would say I'm a shocking shopper. I really How am. good did Claire Underwood look in that most recent uh, House How of Cards? Those. Fabulous. Even you if know, you're people, is... if you're not into the story. Just have a look at it for her wardrobe. That is. So her personal stylist did that wardrobe for the last three or four seasons. I'm obsessed with this. So a third of those clothes are tailor-made and the rest of it comes from runway collections. And then they're just perfectly tailored. So again, to me, and I've been guilty of this in the past, it said, you know, I I said, okay, if you're going to buy something – Take it to the seamstress and get it fitted to you properly. Also, she's got a fabulous body, so that kind of helps you look good in anything. But you know, <laughs> but am I right in thinking she seemed to really step it up a bit? Oh, in the last she one? Really, she's always looked good, but she was just she maybe because really she was did. president for part of the but time. I, think like. I mean, apart from the fact that she's an incredibly attractive woman, which is always going to make clothes look better. She's a great clothes horse, but you know, it was a great lesson in um, corporate dressing. I kept, I was talking to a big retail partner of ours recently, and I said, you know, there's a lot of problems solving here for women. It's really difficult dressing because I guess from me as well, I, I can go from an event where I'm with fashion people, if you like, and especially sort of influencers and they're all dressed in a very fashion way. But then I also have to be here. You know, today I met with the future ambassador to Paris and that's a very different style of meeting or you're meeting with your publisher and you know, CEOs of, of, of um, you know, corporates or um, some of our partners at Westpac. And they're, they're very different environments mm. that you're going in and out of all the time. So you can't really afford to be dressed in, you know, the Perspex sort of Prada coat. I mean, <laughs> I think people might think that was a bit ridiculous. So it's that fine line between beautiful dressing, quality, show, you know, wearing clothes of great quality, but also that look good in a, a corporate boardroom. And I think Claire, Claire Underwood's got that down pat. I feel like I shouldn't be asking about wardrobe, but I'll, I'll push on. Um, just one more thing. Do you own pieces in your wardrobe that maybe you probably won't wear or not much, but you really just like to have them because they're maybe not collectibles, but just special Definitely. pieces? I mean, I've, I've got these liar pieces that, you know, a woman in her 40s just shouldn't wear anymore. <laughs> I've bought them in my 20s when they probably cost me a month's wage, but I just can't let go of them. I keep hoping my daughters will appreciate them one day. Um, and yes, I've, I've been guilty in the past of actually purchasing things that I think are really fabulous and just of the season and then realising that I'm probably never going to wear them because <laughs> I'm probably more conservative than I think I am. <laughs> so yes, I'm guilty of having things that still have labels on them in the wardrobe. Sure. Mm. And you mentioned the Met Gala before. Is that a Vogue Event? Yes, so it it's a- it's actually it was the Metropolitan Museum in New yeah. York, um, and then Anna Winter is the co-host of it. So it's a fundraiser to acquire significant fashion pieces for the museum ongoing, which is exactly what the NGB are doing with their gala on Saturday night. It's about improving the the um, permanent exhibition of the NGV and allowing them to acquire significant couture pieces, for example. So well, you're hoping this might become an annual? Yes, I would, I would hope so. I mean, I think the NGV does an extraordinary, um, extraordinary job with its, um, with its patrons, but also with, with its programs. I think Tony really has world-class um, exhibits there and has proven with Jean-Paul Gaultier, um, then with Victor and Rolf, and now with um, Dior that he can stage a world-class exhibition in, in, at the NGV. So I think we'll see a lot more of them and I would hope to think that that will prove to patrons who perhaps love the Masters that it's just as significant for us to have a great stable of um, 
of you know permanent fashion pieces as well because you imagine all those museums lend to one another globally um, and to be a player in that you need a significant collection yourself but beyond that it's just also that creatives it, it never um, seemed fair to me that if you're a fashion student at RMIT or at, you know even in UT, UTS Sydney anywhere in Australia you never had the benefit of some of the incredible exhibitions that you would see in London or in, in New York. And sporadically, we've had great exhibitions in Australia, but traditionally people didn't see them as art and so therefore it didn't get, I guess, the support, whereas I think Gaultier proved that the numbers will come. Like they, people love a great fashion exhibition. What Tony did when he put on Valentino, I think, um, up at Goma really proved that as well. So that's exciting because it shows that it's commercially viable for, for um, art galleries and museums. It will attract probably a new audience to the gallery. And then on top of that, you're just allowing our young creatives to be exposed to the best in the world. And there's nothing more inspiring for a fashion student than seeing a beautiful like Dior Couture ground, ground close up. I mean, it's all in the it's all in the make. It's all in the work of the ateliers and the petit man. Have you have you been to the Met Gala? I haven't. No, no. no. Okay. So we um, no. There's there's it's the way it works is the designers actually buy the tables. Right. Um, uh-huh. I think the ticket and price is about seven, and they invite people. Um, that's not to say I mean Vogue editors if they're there get invited, but the ticket price which everyone pays is I think it's at seventy five thousand dollars now per head. At the, or it might even be more. Gee. So, yeah, I can't really see that being written off on my expenses at no, the moment. No, no. <laughs> no. 75. Perhaps not. And so with the actors and um, all the big celebrities attending, would they be paying for that? Everybody or? pays, but whether or not the designer pays for them or the celebrity themselves pay. So someone pays for their seat. Somebody pays for the seat. Wow. Mm. Holy it's very shit. well. And, and, in fact, I think it is even more. I've, it's never been publicly announced what it is. It's just you hear rumours in the industry. <laughs> wow. I, I love hearing about what you do in your job. You get to go to some great stuff. Just give us a little insight. Where have you been this year? What are some of the memorable things that you've uh, that oh, you've got gosh. out of the office for? Gosh, I've done lots of great things this year. Um, well, probably I did just like Ready to Wear was the last really big um, event. And very sadly, we had the um, funeral for Franco Sozzani, who was the editor of Italian Vogue, who right. sadly died at the beginning of the year. But in terms of um, a life experience and I guess a celebration of her work and the respect for her, it was an extraordinary occasion and a real privilege to so attend. Where, where did they have that? That was at the Duomo in Milan. Okay. So um, it was the whole famous Duomo in Milan. Um, and there was every designer you can imagine, everyone, every, every single one was there. Um, from the Victoria Beckhams to Donatella's to, I mean, everyone. And then um, there was every photographer she'd ever worked with. So that's the stable of Vogue photographers like the Lindberghs and the Testinos. And, and then every Vogue editor from around the world was there. And then a lot of celebrities also attended because she had close relationships with them. Um, it was just an amazing meeting of people. And most interestingly for me, it was a traditional she, – she had had a – very small private um, burial before with her family and her very close friends who include um, included Baz Luhrmann. Um, so there was a lovely Australian sort of connection. They were very, very close there. And obviously Franca had been to Australia. We'd hosted her here with the wool board. She was the original patron of the Australian Fashion Chamber. She really got behind the launch okay. of that with me and that was only three years ago. And she was very warm and very, very good to me when I started out as, as an editor. So... 
I know I had enormous personal respect for her, but then to actually be in this Duomo and see that actually what she had was a very traditional, um, you know, Catholic um, ceremony that didn't actually speak of her work at all, or not that I could understand. I mean, certainly not from what, what I could see was translated. And to think that such an extraordinary woman who had you know, really formed or helped form the Italian fashion industry and some of the brands that we now know as household names. I mean, she was instrumental in promoting them and and helping them get started. Would kind of still have her send-off really be about her traditional values and nothing to do with fashion was just was fascinating but also gave me even more respect for her. Yeah, yeah, it would have been a very special moment. Yeah, it wasn't about showmanship, which I thought in this day and age was really interesting. Sure. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be hard to top that this year as a, as a, as a massive uh, a milestone event. Definitely. Right. Well, especially for the Vogue family. Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. Crudy, any final questions before we wrap this up? I've definitely got an insight into Edwina's life as an editor <laughs> of Vogue. <laughs> it's been fascinating. The, um, so you're caretaking editing... Yes, Vogue Living. Vogue Living. Bi-monthly? Yes, bi-monthly. Okay. Um, yes. Yeah, so How's that going? How are you juggling the two roles? Is um, it, I'm actually it must be fun, really it, enjoying it. I love – I mean, it was my dream to be the editor of Vogue Living, actually, believe it or not, <laughs> early on. Um, and we have the same publisher, so Nick Smith is the publisher of both. Um, and obviously we've launched the Prestige Network and Vogue Living plays an important role in that network as well. So really – it's been wonderful to see how we can um, help evolve this brand. I think for us, um, what we would like to do is evolve Vogue Living in a business um, in a similar way than we have Vogue. It has an extraordinary social media following. It's actually got a bigger social media following than Vogue, okay. which very few people realise, 640,000 on Instagram. Um, so we're going to launch influencer networks in travel in particular. We're going to expand our travel section. I think there's a huge commercial opportunity in travel and it's a big digital play for us, I think, as a company. I think the Australian is very strong in travel um, and it would be wonderful for us to have a great social media extension for some of our travel um, clients. So that's really exciting. Um, and so I, I think for, for me, it's great because I've worked on the creation of the Prestige News Network and how we'll all work together and to be able to help, I guess, help form and develop the Vogue Living um, business with um, Nick Smith and also Claire Bradley, who is the um, publisher of the Homes category, will be it's just, I guess, another indication of how we actually can really collaborate. You know, those days of media. I mean, I've worked in media companies where all the editors were very much pegged against each other and, you know, you were named and shamed depending on your numbers in front of one another. It was quite a different world. But when you collaborate and you realise the strength of your brands working together, it's much more powerful mm. and it's an easier solution for clients. Sure. Wonderful. Vogue, September. Gee, don't miss it. Eight ninety nine, 320 pages. Be careful would, lifting it up. <laughs> would it be heavy. your biggest issue ever? Uh, I'm not sure about page-wise if it is, um, but be certainly there, amongst, amongst it would have to be. Just to carry that many ads, it, it absolutely has to be. <laughs> Fair. It's a little design quirk I've noticed. Yes. Number nine used to have O. You would have had O9 in the old design. Or Isn't is that... that funny? It, uh, you are the only person who <laughs> <laughs> I actually said to the art director, is anybody going to notice that except you? And she said, yes. <laughs> now I can tell her. <laughs> so, yeah, and a dot. You had a dot. So yeah, and a dot. dot we we changed the spine, minimalist. I guess. Minimalist. Yeah, went a bit more minimalist. Yeah, and, yeah. No, yeah. That's great. Okay, great. I don't know what that number represents. September. Nine. Yeah, number nine. Oh, is that Month oh, number nine. Jesus so, yeah. Christ. Okay. So, that's like, so you can make so sure you collect 
Eight or 12. Books, yeah. uh, right. <laughs> you don't Stack want to miss a number. Sideways <laughs> or vertically on your um, exactly. the coffee table. You can see yeah, if they're all there or no, someone's stolen one. I've got to go and find it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Fair. Edwina McCann, look, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me.